You're listening to DraftKings Network. and girls, welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brand. As always, I'm your host. We're produced by Jack Connell, musical producer Sam Brand, my son. We are going to dive in, and we're presented as always by DraftKings to the NFL start of the season, lingering off-season issues. So what happens is from March until September is the off-season. It's the longest off-season of any major sport. We haven't played a meaningful snap since February, in seven long months before football's back, and now it is back with the game last night, recording this on Friday, between the Chiefs and the Lions. As I've talked to you guys about before, someone like me, whether in my role as an agent, my role as a team executive, or current role as an analyst, the offseason's the busy time, right? So when they kick off the ball on Sunday or last night, When I was at the Packers, every time the kickoff started on game one, I just exhaled. I'm like, oh, good. (laughs) My busy time's over, right? I can kick back, not kick back like a fan, but I can enjoy the job a little more, watch the fruits of our labor on display. The front offices turn the teams over from the coaches, I'm sorry, from the front office to the coaches. So the off-season is a time where it's front office, it's building, it's architecting, it's managing, it's assembling a team, it's molding, it's doing little edits to your team throughout. And come September, the team's there. The team is set. So the team is turned over to the coaches to do what they wish for the next four and a half, five, hopefully five months. Um That's what people sometimes don't really realize. There's not a lot going on in front offices. Now, from a cap perspective, obviously, you want to have a surplus of cap room for that rainy day, for that worst-case scenario throughout the season. I tried to come into the season with, I don't know, $10 million of cap room. Most teams are way under that. I looked at the cap ratings lately. Cleveland, as they always seem to be, has the most cap room, about $26 million. Most are under $10 million. So you try to get that settled. But listen, there's not going to be a lot going on. And as I'm going to talk about with the Bosa deal and the Burrow deal, there's only a handful of items contractually, business-wise, going on around the league that still merit any attention. And most of them are going to be gone from our radar once the season kicks off on Sunday. So off-season, I always called me time, M-E time. That means players are worried about themselves, their contract, their family, their personal situation, their playing time. Now, when it comes to training camp, but more importantly, the season, after all the cuts, we're going to be in we time. We time is put aside your individual focus, put aside. You're playing a team sport here. It's the most interdependent team sport there is with the best players only playing 50%, if that, of the game. 
So it's, it's we time. We're in we time. But there's some lingering issues. So before I get to those lingering issues, just again, for people to understand, the front offices turn the team over. They're already on to 24. You know, whether it be the scouting department or the cap department, the GM, we're on to 24, right? 24, we're looking at our cap for 24. We're looking at our contracts expiring in 23. We're looking at our rookie players that have finished three years after this year for possible extensions. We're looking at where free agent holes may come in. On the scouting side, they're off. They're off to college football. From now until January, these guys are off on campuses. And then January is the bowl games, not the competitive bowl games, the bowl games for uh, all-star games, the East West Shrine game and the Senior Bowl. Uh, And then they gather. And then in late January to late February, they gather and put together the board. It's this ritual every year. But scouting is done. You still have pro personnel scouting for waiver pickups. And that's really what goes on during the season. It's churn at the bottom of the roster, right? People think there are going to be these great moves made during the season. Well, who's available? I mean, no, maybe a couple big trades in late October. Maybe Jonathan Taylor gets traded. But wow, I mean, there's nothing going on. From a front office business point of view for the rest of the season, we're going to figure out what goes on with Chris Jones. We're going to figure out what goes on with a couple other issues, but we're done. So the start of the season to me was always and still is always inverse to most of the people around the NFL. Most of the people around the NFL are busy when they're playing games. The pure business people, the financial, the deal makers, the architects of teams, they're much busier when there are no games. Because when there are no games, okay, that's the time to put in work. When there are games, it's the rhythm, it's regular, it's coaches, it's getting things together on a week-by-week basis, it's dealing with injuries, the regular, regular schedule. But you got to deal with the offseason. So the offseason ends, and here's the season. Okay, we've had some lingering issues with the business of football, with me time. One of them still remains, and there may be more. I'll talk about that in a minute. And that was evident last night. Chris Jones is the wondrous defensive tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs. He was attending the game last night in Kansas City where they unveiled the banner. He was not playing the game. He's under contract to play, $19.5 million a year, for this year, by the way. And he's not coming. He's not down with that. He's not coming in for $19.5 million a year. Now, some of you say, well, that's a lot of money. Well, it's all relative. That's the whole thing. It's all relative. What we have seen with the defensive tackle market, even in this offseason, players like Dexter Lawrence, Deron Payne, Jeffrey Simmons, the market's about $24, $25 million a year, okay, for the top defensive linemen. Now, that's a good market. Right? Defensive line's a good market. You know? <laughs> Offensive tackle's a good market. Quarterback's a great market. Wide receiver's a pretty good market. Running back's a really bad market. Okay, more on that later. But Chris Jones wants a new deal. Whatever has gone on in negotiations with the Chiefs have not resulted in anything. It seems to be a stalemate. They don't even seem to be talking. The word is that Jones is going to stay out 
probably till week eight without the deal he wants. Week eight gets him in there, even if there's a two-week roster exemption. That gives him six games on the active or the accrued status. That means he gets his free agent year for 2023. That means he becomes a free agent. I'm sorry, he doesn't get his free agent year in 23. He gets his accrued year, which gives him free agent status at the end of 2023. So 2024, Chris Jones will hit the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow with free agency. Unless, you know what I'm going to say, the Chiefs use a franchise tag. Now we're a long way from that because he still can report for game two in 10 days. Things can get worked out in an hour, a day, a week. But as of now, Chris Jones has taken a stand. Now taking a stand in football is hard. And you see why this happens so rarely. And it's usually a defensive lineman. Taking a stand is really hard because one, you're going to be antagonistic with your bosses. Number two, you're going to forfeit a lot of money. And I'll talk about that. And number three, the team always seems to have leverage because they're going to be there and you're not, right? Players are going to come and go. The team's always going to be there. And you're going to, you know, incur some blowback from people saying, what's this guy making $19.5 million? What's the problem? So it's hard. And Chris Jones is up for the challenge and his agents. Here's some of the fines he's incurred already. He missed out on a half a million dollar workout bonus in the offseason. Just blew it off. He's not into that. He was absent from mandatory minicamp, three-day fines, total $100,000. He's not going to get a sacks incentive, assuming he holds out at least half the season, $1.25 million, 10 plus sacks. He um, He's not getting paid every week. If he sits out eight weeks, that's like $10 million. So all of these things, and then, of course, the training camp fines, which cannot be rescinded. Of course, if they knew do, do a new deal, that's kind of factored in. You got this money to pay your fines. But according to the CBA, it cannot be rescinded, at least not on a veteran contract. On a rookie contract like Nick Bosa, we'll talk about, they can be rescinded. Anyway, fines, 50000 a day starting July 21, going until now, that's about $2.5 million. So basically, he's giving up for this holdout, if he stays out to week eight, about 11 to $12 million. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. 12, well, maybe closer to 12, 13. And he's doing it in the name of getting what he thinks is a fair deal. What's a fair deal? Well, as I mentioned, those guys on the DT market, which has come up this offseason, Dexter Lawrence, Deron Payne, Jeffrey Simmons, uh, Quinn and Williams, those four, the two New York guys and the Washington guy and the Tennessee guy, well, they're getting roughly 24 to 25 million a year. Now, Jones should get more than that. Where are the Chiefs on this? But then there's Aaron Donald. He's in a market by himself, 32 million a year, almost 95 over three. Got his deal torn up with three years left. So I would think Jones wants midpoint plus, midpoint meaning 28 million, the difference between 24 and 32. But the Nick Bosa thing complicates it. So before we get to Bosa, that's where we are with Jones. He's a lingering issue from me time. He's at the game last night. I think he was surrounded by his agents when they showed him on TV. Uh, And they're taking a stand. I mean, again, This is not for the faint of heart. 
to do what he's doing. It's like in the NBA, James Harden. He's done this many times. He's fine. He's fine being the jerk, right? Some players wouldn't be able to do that. Even in the NBA right now, Damon Lillard wants a trade, but he's not willing to kind of get out there and be pissy about it. Harden will be. And that's a talent. <laughs> it's worked for Harden twice and maybe works again. We'll see. Okay, Bosa gets done. Now the defensive line market, Bosa plays outside, Jones plays inside, just stepped up again, giving Jones, you would think, more leverage because you have a fresh data point. Nick Bosa holds out all offseason, doesn't go to training camp, does whatever he's going to do, takes the vacation from training camp. Not to say he wasn't working out hard. He's a workout maniac like his brother. But lo and behold, he gets a deal. 170 over five. That's the report. 170 million over five is a $34 million average, which puts him above Aaron Donald and puts him in a new market, the highest paid defensive player, the highest paid non-quarterback in the history of football. Well, let's look a little closer. He had 18 million left on the deals, so it's really a six-year deal for 188, not a five-year deal for 170, because I think you have to look at the totality of the deal. And that comes out to about 31.3, which bumps right below the 31.67 of Aaron Donald. So there we have it. It's right up against the best deal for a defensive lineman. Forget about inside, outside. And Chris Jones is probably going to bump right there too. As for Bosa, listen, we have to see the real deal. But there's a report it's a $50 million signing bonus. Wow, that's strong. And we'll see what the one-year cash and two-year cash and three-year cash is. But again, whether it's $34 million a year or $31.3 a year, this is a big-time deal. And the Bozas have gotten some major deals. His brother Joey, a few years ago, gets his uh, first veteran contract after his rookie deal. And that's $27 million a year when that was the top of the market. Passed last year by T.J. Uh, Watt at $28 million a year. But Boza sets a new market, you know, certainly for the outside. And if you count the just extension years, it's the best deal ever for a non-quarterback. If not, it's right up against it with Aaron Donald. Boza's, I think, should get a wing, you know, a family wing in my business of football, excuse me, business of football hall of fame. They should get a wing. Maybe with the Mannings. The Mannings made gobs of money. But again, they retired a few years ago. The money's gone crazy since then. So we have a new deal for Nick Bosa. We do not have a new deal for Chris Jones. It's a fresh data point for the Chris Jones negotiation. I would imagine that Kansas City Chiefs are not too happy with this deal. And they're looking at the 49ers with a side-eye glance. But... The devil's in the details. We have to see that deal, what it really is, what it really isn't, and how that's going to look. So Chris Jones, not done. Nick Boza, done in, as we sit here Friday, he may be playing Sunday. I'm gathering he doesn't need a lot of time, a lot of reps to get going, and playing Sunday in Pittsburgh or at Pittsburgh. All right, now we get to Joe Burrow. This is the most interesting contract uh, of all the ones we're talking about here because this deal wasn't getting done for whatever reasons. And we'll, maybe we'll find out the reasons at another time. But we know what happened this offseason, and this was kind of what I was looking at most for what was going to happen this offseason. We had three 
quarterbacks up for renegotiation after the threshold term of three years in the league had passed. To remind you, the CBA requires players cannot renegotiate their contracts until they have played three years in the NFL. Jalen Hurts had, Justin Herbert had, and Joe Burrow had as of February. So now we have these three ready for contract. Howie Roseman shrewdly gets Hurts done first. The headline there is 251, I believe, over five, over 50 million a year. Um, or maybe it was 255 over five for the extension years, 51 a year, breaks the $50 million, uh, and we have a massive deal for Jalen Hurts. Then we get Justin Herbert's deal, like 262 over five uh, on the extension years. And now we get Joe Burrow. What I was wondering why Burrow was taking so long, because it would seem to be an easy negotiation between him and the Bengals after Justin Herbert got done. If you just say, okay, we're going to leapfrog Herbert by a few million dollars on the total, by a few million dollars on the guarantee, and he'll be the highest paid player in history, 55 a year, 275 over five. Um, And that's what he got. You know, but why would that take so long? What I thought was either one of the two things was happening. Number one, Bengals were holding it up, saying they didn't want to do fall in line with these other deals, which to me, I'll explain in a minute, I think they should have been happy to fall in line with these other deals. Or, on the other hand, was Burrow holding it up, wanting for a Deshaun Watson-type fully secured deal, not these stair-step guarantees, which he got? Did he want a shorter deal, which I would recommend? A deal that's four years, maybe four years plus an extension year, a five-year deal, or at the most a six-year deal, and they're going with this seven-year deal? Or did he want some other kind of structure where he'd have a different type of deal? Or did he not want to do a deal, get a year closer to free agency instead of two years away from free agency, maybe one year away from free agency, and that would give him an opportunity to really leverage a better deal as the market continues to escalate. Well, I'm guessing none of the above. Maybe it just was timing and it just uh, attention to, to the deal and it finally got done during the kickoff game last night. At the end of the day, you know, it's a great deal, but at least people have to understand these lengths, okay? So Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow had two years left on their rookie deals. They did, their, they did five-year deals. First rounders get four years plus an option year, five-year deals. So when they do a deal after year three, there's still two years left. They're adding five years. It's a seven-year deal. It it's a, replaces the two years remaining, and it's a seven-year contract. To me, right there, no matter the money, that's a win for the Chargers and the Bengals. And you say, what do you mean? I say, I'll tell you what I mean. You get those players, your franchise players, your faces of your franchise, your top elite quarterbacks at a young age, under contract through the end of the decade, that's a win. I don't care what you're paying now. You could be paying anything right now, right? You get players under contract for that long, it's a win. Josh Allen is under contract that length. And of course, the one I've talked about the most, Pat Mahomes, the most undervalued contract in the in the sport, is under contract, I think, to like 2032 or 33 or whatever it is. That's a win. Because you see it exactly what we're talking about in the past six months, in the past year, in the past two years, in the past three years. These quarterback contracts escalate, however you want to look at them. 
And the market is way passed by uh, Pat Mahomes. It's passed by Josh Allen. It's passed by all these. It's passed by Dak Prescott, although Dak Prescott can take advantage of it because he has a short deal. Dak only did a four-year deal for 160, 40 a year. But the most impressive thing about the Dak deal, I said it the moment he signed it, is it's four years, so they're going to be back at the table this year. And no, Trey Lance is not a threat. And no, Cooper Rush is not a threat. And no, they're not going to get a rookie that's a threat. And no veteran is going to be available for free agency that's a threat. So, get a guy under contract long. I don't know why these top quarterbacks do long deals, right? And and people are going to say, well, they could get hurt. Well, Dak Prescott proved that. He had a season-ending severe injury in his contract year and got this great deal I just talked about. Okay, so I don't know what's wrong with, I guess let's say it this way, how these teams get these players to take long deals. Now, again... Maybe Burrow, maybe Herbert, maybe Hertz were trying to get shorter deals and the team just said no. And maybe they talked him into that, hey, make a commitment like Mahomes. Listen, I just look at it from an analyst's point of view. If a player wants to be there forever, great. If he doesn't worry if he's making 50 or 40. And, and again, if you factor in the extension years, Burrow, Hertz, and Herbert are not making 50 plus a year. They're making 40-ish a year. Not that there's anything wrong with making 40 million a year. But the real deals are 40 plus a year, not 50 plus a year. The only player making 50 million plus a year is the one player without an agent named Lamar Jackson, who coming off a franchise tag with no years remaining, got a deal at 260 million, 52 a year. That's real money. And Lamar Jackson will have an opportunity to test the market again at a relatively young age, however old he is now, in three, four years, they're going to do a new deal. And no, they're not going to have a replacement for Lamar Jackson at that level. So this, again, if you want to really rack up career earnings, do a short deal and don't worry about injury. If you want to learn a lot, of, earn a lot of money like these guys, but you're really under contract the prime, whole prime of your career, no, fine. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, when teams get players like Burrow and Herbert and Hertz and Allen and Mahomes under contract for seven, eight, nine years, that's a win. I don't even need to know what the money is. That's a win. That's a win for the teams. Okay, I think I made my point. Next thing, on the broadcast side, what's really interesting, you know my saying Deadline Spur Action, Charter Spectrum, is a cable provider, the second largest in the country, millions of subscribers, a lot in New York, a lot in California, Dallas, where I have an apartment, everything is Charter Spectrum, okay? Now, Charter Spectrum is in a carriage dispute with Disney, which owns ESPN, and for the last two weeks... The deal has not been done. The deal is over. It's been dark on ESPN channels for millions of subscribers. That means they haven't been able to watch the opening games of college football and the U.S. Open, which I've watched religiously over the past two weeks, and they can't even watch it. So now we have a dispute that doesn't seem to be resolved. Of course, they're continuing to miss the U.S. Open, the semis today, the finals this weekend. 
And then the big deadlines for action is Monday night. The Bills and the Jets, Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, the opening of Monday Night Football on ESPN. As it stands now, recording this Friday afternoon, there will not be coverage to millions of Charter Spectrum subscribers, including in New York, where the Jets and Bills play. So we'll see. Usually, Disney, ESPN will prevail on these things. The other side will accede to their terms. They have so much leverage, so much power. They're ESPN. They're the uh, market leader in the cable provider's lineup. So why not? But Charter Spectrum has made some comments like, we're not going to be held hostage by Disney. We don't even know if we're in on this model. We don't even know if we're in on this video services model. We might just go to wireless and streaming like everyone else or direct to consumer. And the PR is out there, obviously. ESPN's putting out their PR that Charter Spectrum's uh, denying this to all the customers and Stephen A. Smith and all that. And Charter's putting out their statements like, yeah, we made a great offer. We paid them billions of dollars. What's the problem? (laughs) So everyone's pointing fingers. That's what happens, trying to seek public approval. But meanwhile, the consumers are screwed because of a carriage dispute, a negotiation, something with lawyers, while the fans are the pawns. They're not getting what they want. They're just pawns in a negotiation, the subscribers. So I don't know where that's going to end, but that doesn't look good. Um, I'm 50-50 right now on whether the deadline spurs action for Monday night's game. I don't think we're going to see the U.S. Open Finals on Spectrum. I don't think we're going to see college football on on ESPN this weekend on Spectrum. If it gets done, I think it gets done Monday. And then if it doesn't get done Monday, Charter's probably going to just dig in, right? And then it's going to be nasty, you know, public statements about Charter from ESPN, maybe less nasty, but also nasty uh, statements from Spectrum about Disney and ESPN. Okay, we're going to watch that. Speaking of television and and the U.S. Open, I just have to say this. I say this every year. I watched the U.S. Open. Uh, I'm a big tennis fan. I'm watching this. I think it's been great. At Coco Goff, it's her year. I'm predicting her to win tomorrow over Sabalenka. Um, and, of course, I want to see Jokovic and Alcaraz again. That's such entertaining tennis. But I'm watching these matches, and, again, there is no linesman. There are no linesmen. There are no humans calling the lines. It is completely electronic. There's no one there on the court besides the players and the ball boys. And they're getting every call right. 100% right. Trusting technology, trusting electronics. This is tennis. Now, U.S. Open tennis is a big deal, but U.S. Open tennis is not the NFL. The NFL's got $20 billion of revenue. They've got $10 billion of TV contracts every year. This is a league that should be at the forefront of technology. And there's two guys with sticks 10 yards apart figuring out if someone makes a first down. If someone makes a touchdown, well, there's two old guys 50 yards away trying to figure it out through a mass of bodies. Okay? Trying to be inside, in, in, or, in or out on a catch, on a run, whatever it may be. Yeah, some, some guy down the line trusting his vision with bodies everywhere. What, wait, what? why are we doing this? 
Now, I'm not a technologist. I don't know what will be the answer, but it's got to be better than this, right? It's got, if we can do it in tennis, where the, we have eliminated the need for human lines people, we can eliminate the need for humans carrying a stick with chains and humans looking down a line. Why? Why can we do this on a tennis court that's concrete, not on a field that's grass or turf? Like, I just think, I, I just scratch my head, like, what are we doing here? <laughs> what are we doing? Why can't we do that? And maybe someone out there has a good answer. But to me, when you talk about technology in a $20 billion annual revenue business with teams that sell for $6 billion, with media contracts that dwarf every other sports league, why? Okay. A couple other things. CAA. We know CAA. They're a big-time sports agency. They have football. They have basketball. They have all these. But they're really in the entertainment world, well, they're being bought, right? So they're being bought by the French billionaire. His name is Francois-Henri Penault. I hope I said that right. And they're taking over from a PE firm, a private equity firm that had bought CAA before um, and called TPG. And then Temasek Holdings, which is a Singapore firm, also has an investment. So anyway, CAA is getting bought a $7 billion acquisition price. They represent all these great uh, movie stars like Tom Hanks and Tom Cruise, but they're also big in sports. So they have Josh Allen, they have Joe Burrow, we just talked about his deal, Justin Jefferson, Chris Paul, Shohei Otani, and they're trying to deal with that. Now, it's a volatile time in the representation industry, because on the Hollywood side, as everyone knows, there's a strike. Uh, the writers are on strike and the actors are on strike. And it's obviously a volatile time for revenue there. And then on the team sports side, you know, with the regulation of contracts uh, in terms of how much you can make is very limited for draft picks. There's a lot of rookie scale contracts limited on draft slotting and what you can make off of that. And there's cutthroat competition, at least, to reduce fees. I had heard that CA does all their first-round picks for 1%. Maybe it trickles down to other parts of the draft. So, again, with all that going on, they got the acquisition from Penault. Now, that's a family uh, that has a company called Artemis that controls uh, Gucci and Saint Laurent. And anyway... It's an interesting sort of sexy merger between someone who has been involved with luxury brands and now buying CAA. And of course, for other for people who don't know, this Henri Penault is also married to uh, Salma Hayek, um, just so you know. <laughs> That's my entertainment news for the day. But this is interesting because a lot of these firms that represent players are looking to be bought and have been bought over the years. There's been a conglomeration. There's been um, mergers and acquisitions. A lot of young agents with private firms are kind of out there looking to be purchased. This has been going on a long time. Uh, IMG was bought years ago by CAA. Um, there's all these acquisitions. Um, 
there was uh, a big Louisville firm that bought Joel Siegel's firm years ago. Drew Rosenhaus's state independent. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones. Athletes First came out of a merger with a Canadian company when they broke off from Lee Steinberg. Um, so there's a lot of movement. I, what I say about the agent industry all the time is it's a rough go. Uh, if you can get in with a big company and just sort of work your way up, that's a good way to go. Doing it alone obviously has more autonomy and independence, but it's a rough go. I mean, if you're, when I see kids wanting to be agents, I look at them and say, okay, I'm a player. You're an agent. How do I, how do I, are you going to sell me? Um, and of course, everyone's going to say, I'm going to give you all this attention, but that's what everyone's saying. And you're going to say, well, I know contracts. That's what everyone's saying. They're going to say, well, I'll go to the ends of the earth for you. And that's what everyone's saying too. But anyway, more power to kids that want to be agents. It's a rough go, but if they know that going in, go for it. All right, that'll do it. Listen, newsletter is going to be out Sunday. It's going to be a good one. Andrew-Brandt.com if you're not getting it already. If you want to get my videos every day, Andrew-Brandt.com slash SBL. Go to the Sports Business League. I do these every day. I do my reels on Instagram at Andrew Brandt 2. Of course, Twitter, Andrew Brandt. Columns at Sports Illustrated. And uh, you can hear me here <laughs> every week. Thanks to producer Jack Connell. Thanks to my musical producer son, Sam Brandt. Thanks to you for listening. If you enjoy it, please give us some good comments. Apple comments are really appreciated and ratings. Share it with a friend. Uh, it's something unique that I'm trying to put out. And I hope everyone enjoys this perspective that you don't get many places. Have a great week. Enjoy the first weekend of the NFL. Enjoy the first uh, look at Jordan Love for all my Packer fans. And uh, by the way, my picks for Sports Illustrated, I had the Dolphins. Yes, the Dolphins. Going to the Super Bowl against the Eagles. And my bold prediction is the Eagles will not lose a game. How about that? Have a great week, everybody. I'll see you next week on the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.